0: Introducing the new Starbucks Pistachio Cream Cold Brew. Silky Pistachio Cream Cold Foam tops our bold, smooth, cold brew for a delicious twist on a favorite winter flavor. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app.
1: Speaking here, you're listening to episode 82 of the See Here podcast. We talk about music related films. That's our job, that's our role, that is what we do. You're listening to me on my lovely new AKG Lyra. Microphone. Very, very sexy. I'm rather quite pleased with this. And over in Bath is my friend and esteemed colleague, Mr. Bernard Stickwell. Hello. Once again, our other esteemed colleague and great friend, Mr. Tim Merrill, is not available, but I can promise you that he will be back next month. We'll talk a bit about that at the end of the show. So you might be wondering, what have we got up for you? Well, we've just done an interview with a fellow called Colm Ford, and he is the curator, and he started out this. Music festival in London called Dock and Roll, and it's also a VOD service, and all they do is music documentaries. So we were made for each other. Our podcast, his music festival, we thought we had to talk to him. So in a minute or two, we will present that interview for you, for your listening pleasure. After that, we'll be back to talk about what will be on next month and about Tim, the prodigal son, returning back to the show after a few months. The second coming in more anticipated than the second Stone Roses album. Oh, well, hang on. The second Stone Roses album didn't tend to go anywhere that was satisfactory for most fans did it
0: <laughs> yeah but it was it was highly anticipated hopefully uh, Tim will buck that trend yeah
1: exactly yeah, absolutely
0: yeah. absolutely. the true second coming
1: <laughs> we'll be back after this break with our interview with uh, Colin Ford you're listening to See Here episode 82
0: <laughs> I had to define myself I think
2: extraordinary an explosion from another planet mysterious unknowable It just rocked Times have changed. I
3: gotta figure out what to do. What's this you know? is the end. I believe in never start.
2: We're family, so, you know, there's nothing that's gonna destroy that.
1: Playing
0: music, I love it. Punk and
2: DIY punk. A different level of feeling.
1: Bigger than one human being. What we're doing is really healthy. It's about celebrating. A kind of spiritual anarchy.
2: Nobody is the president. That's where great music exists. Hey man, this is tripping me out. What's
1: that? Welcome back to episode 82 of See Here Podcast. And Bernie and I have got on the Skypes... I guess the curator, the originator of a film festival that started in London about seven or eight years ago, I think, called Doc and Roll. Welcome to the show, Colm Ford. Thanks for having me thanks for being had we've had many a director on the show before but I think this is the first time that we've had someone who's run a festival a music film festival I mean this is right up our alley we do music related films on this podcast so um, the fact that you existed meant that we just had to reach out to you how did you come up with an idea to actually run a music documentary festival
3: Um, well I started back in 2013 when I arrived in London from Dublin where I'm from and I was just looking for Change is seen at the working in in Dublin as a film archivist, restoration, post production ahead for like ten years. So I just jumped ship on that, and I was looking for a similar type of job, but in the archive collections, museum collections, and that in London in 2013. And it wasn't a great time to be looking for public service jobs. All of these jobs are kind of paid for by the public purse, so major cutbacks in that scene. So I was kind of at a loose end and reluctant to go into professional post-production. I just was a little long in the tooth for that, so I just decided to put kind of my twin loves of alternative documentary or indie film but alternative music to good use and to give some basically some joy to these films that normally would only get a London premiere if they're lucky and be forced straight to DVD and they wouldn't get any type of screening outside of the capital. so we myself my partner Vanessa did couple of months research to figure out if there was a market there and how we could access it and we threw ourselves into it because it was a bit of a gamble to say the least because we had zero contacts in the art scene in the UK and had no prior experience of screening a film anywhere or organising anything beyond a a dinner party at home so uh, it was uh, shot in the dark took a while to get going took a good two years two editions to to gain some traction and to spread from our one cinema in Hackney to now last year at nine cinemas across London so yeah we just kind of dove into it with a, a combined passion of just like alternative music from all the spectrums from jazz all the, all the way across the metal and everything in between you know.
1: Now I know that here in Melbourne every year for the uh, Melbourne International Film Festival they always get someone to curate a subsection devoted to music documentaries for as part of MIF. has the BFI done anything similar like that?
3: Yeah they actually had a thing called Sonic Cinema, I think, for their uh, London Film Festival. But that's a mixture of short films and dramatic films, uh, fiction films, and some music docs as well. So it's got a mixed bag of about seven or eight titles. And, yeah, we were aware of, of them being on the scene, but, you know, they a whole other other sphere, to say the least. Having said that, we did start, we opened our third edition of our, of our festival in the BFI South Bank Cinema, so that was a nice little lag-up we got from them. We opened with the film on Gregory Porter, their world premiere of, uh, film. of The jazz Singer, and had a great double Q&A, sold out double screen once all day at opening night. So that was great. But the BFIs, yeah, obviously they have their eye on I think two hundred films over that festival. So, you know, it's only a small part of the overall thing that they do. And weakens a lot of these festivals around us that existed before we started. They always had seven to eight films, you know, with premieres, and we've just kind of pulled the carpet from one of them on that because of our growing in strength. So, Rain Dance, Sheffield, Glasgow Film Festival, Edinburgh, Cambridge, they've all been hit drastically by us, stealing their UK premieres. So, you know, we've made friends and enemies to
1: our success. (laughs) It's the enemies that lets you know that you've become successful.
3: Absolutely, yeah. It took me a while to understand that. Yeah, but definitely. I, I never actually had any enemies that I was aware of prior to doing this, so they came quick and fast. They came quick and fast on the third edition when you started to to, to screen at like four or five cinemas across London, and we broke out of London into Brighton and Liverpool initially. So now we have fourteen city editions outside of London. So yeah, they disgruntled, you know, ruffled a lot of feathers in the established dinosaur <laughs> scene of festival too.
0: It's, uh, yeah. it's a cutthroat business, isn't
3: it? <laughs> oh, man, to, 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 it is to get your hands on on, <laughs> uh, on premieres, yeah. If you don't have a premier, you get no press. So that's the end of the story on that. You know, we learned the hard way, you know. And obviously, our enemies, some of them are now working with us. So <laughs> you gotta keep them close. <laughs> A lot of, a lot of the, the cinemas that we started out with, they themselves would have had programmed, you know, music docs across their, maybe some of them have like 25 different uh, branches across the UK and they would have had regular music documentaries, maybe not as left to field as stuff as we program, but they would have had stuff not in a regular strand, but they programmed it own again. So they themselves, you know, were eyeing us up and started to uh, take our programming and, and throw it across their branches. So, we, you know, our own success started to cannibalise our program program, the, our, our own partners. So, you know, it's, it's definitely cutthroat, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Has Dock and Roll been able to provide grants for filmmakers or is it purely just about giving them an exhibition leg up?
3: No, unfortunately, we don't have anywhere near that kind of funding or anything in that realm. Like, I mean, those, that type of funding usually is comes from a public body and we'd be facilitated by a festival, but we don't have that kind of pu- public funding, you know, like the other bigger, bigger ones would have, like Sheffield mm-hmm. Dog Fest or Edinburgh or... Or the BFI themselves, which is all lottery money at the end of the day. It's all coming from the same public purse, you know. So, but we don't, yeah. we don't, we are nowhere near established in that front. Like, we're only having our eighth edition next November. So, those that hand out those kind of grants would, would be at least 20 years old in, in their being established, you know. No, so we, we just kicked the door open for a lot of left field filmmakers. Most of them are first on filmmakers. A vast majority, I'd say about 85% of them that we deal with. We're dealing with bigger directors now in the last three four days three or four years but initially in the first three or four years we were dealing mostly with first time filmmakers who didn't really know to navigate this scenario and we didn't either so we kind of learned with them and held our hand a little bit and opened opportunities for them across outside of london so basically why we set this up was to make sure there was a kind of a social element and a like-minded gathering of freaks and misfits and all sorts of music nerds who come together and meet outside of their home mm. rather than being stuck at home as we are nowadays watching stuff online you know watching the uh, you know, VOD versions mm-hmm. of these films, so basically to give these films a proper airing as they should be in a, in a Dolby system, like at a big screen, yeah. you know. And we've definitely been successful on that. has not easy, but the directors we've dealt with and we've reached out to and um, we've screened, they've been really appreciative of what we've put together. Because previously, like I said, at the initial opening, they might have gotten their foot in the door with one screening in London if they were lucky. And that would be just the beginning end of it because those festivals couldn't give a damn about giving any life or legs to these films. It's just in and mm-hmm. out, they're a program. They fuck off, see you later, bye, whatever. They couldn't even be answered, bothered answering any further questions as to help these people get in elsewhere, anywhere else. My whole thing of approaching directors is to gain a bit of rapport with them, uh, sit in a Skype with them for 40 minutes or an hour and win them over, eight months before we're screening with them to so make sure that we have given them a good reason to come with us rather than to go with any old, other, better established vessel with a strand of four or five films that I'll just say you're going to get lost in the program. And these people wouldn't even bother sitting with you for half an hour and getting to know you even for that Mm -hmm. amount of time. You know, so uh, we've always had a long vision in this in terms of the value of giving our own time, spending, you know, long hours during the week and weekends in, like, making contact with these uh, filmmakers and also for the, the long tail of them putting us in touch with their mates who they meet at other festivals and they're all just to kind of, you know, spread the word and they themselves coming back with other films three or four years after that, you know. So we have over the years, like after, I think I'm fourth year four, we started to do semi-theatrical across UK and Ireland, which meant that we weren't just screening at our festivals, which at that stage was London plus five or six other UK city festivals, but we were also screening outside of that at maybe seven or eight other cinemas that had gained our confidence and were happy to for us to do some minor distribution with them. Since We did that, now we're doing kind of bigger theatrical distribution in the realm of 50 to 75 screens for certain documentaries, about three or four per year. So it's kind of grown out of that, you know, and now we have a VOD service as well with 40 docs on it that is globally available on demand. So, you know, we that itself as well, you know, it kind of all grew little by little, struggle by struggle over seven or eight years, seven years, you know.
1: The whole reason for me starting this band was because I was fucking bored being lied to. Is anyone tired? After all these years of rock and roll, all we needed was brutal honesty from an angry looking man in Bristol.
0: As you progressed over the years and as the uh, the name's gotten a little bigger and the festival's gotten a little bigger, have you found more directors and filmmakers have actually been approaching you? Or do you find that yeah. you're still having to really search out and dig? And, or is it a combination of both still?
3: Yeah, yeah, it's still a combination of both but you know, the ratio has shifted yeah. ma- massively where, you know, for the first two years we didn't have Film Freeway or any other platform to submit to and I was just, literally most of my work was involved in scouring the internet, Facebook particularly for these films up and coming that Facebook pages hitting people up and just doing a lot of research across other festivals to kind of pick and choose bits and pieces of data that other festivals would be showing and mm-hmm. put them all together but we launched our Film Freeway page probably in the third edition and, and did okay on that. Got about 60 submissions and features. I was probably like giving me 70% of the time looking for these films and 30% input coming into us." And, yeah, it's just like a word of mouth word thing. Now we have had, we're really strong now with uh, Film Freeload. We had 121 feature submissions last year and wow. 85 the year before, and then 70 odd shorts, 70 and 80 shorts around that. And these days, I'd probably be chasing myself about 20% of the program and 80% coming in at me, which is great. So least, wow. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: So obviously, the chasing involves the bigger films now, particularly, you know, and winning those directors and producers over. As to why they should screen with yeah. us over others, no, and that you know keeps it interesting. You know, it's it's great to see it evolving, and it's it's always a challenge still to try and win these producers over. You know, when they they don't see the profile being worthwhile versus what they can get out of another festival. So it's all about that charm and kind of with <laughs> just you know laying it up going, look, you can screen with these guys, but they're gonna. That's the end of your story. You're not going to travel anywhere. We we can offer you like 17, 18, 20 screenings if you come with us. You know, so that's one of the main reasons when the festivals hate us you know because <laughs> they can't do that they couldn't be bothered doing that but uh, they won't they won't try and challenge us on it they just hate us for it, you know what I mean <laughs> rather than them rolling their sleeves up themselves and going out and doing it you know yeah, yeah. They, just, they just really hate the fact that we have this niche and it totally undermines their whole program now in that in that section that they were extremely comfortable in because they just can't they can't fight back because they couldn't be bothered on one hand and the heads of those festivals don't see the value in it so <laughs> you know, it's a win-win for us,
0: you know, yeah, and that's their problem, isn't it? If they're not prepared to actually, like you say, roll their sleeves up and do absolutely. some work, then, well, absolutely, you know, the, the it's space completely. was wide open yeah. for you to step in and do it, wasn't yeah. it? So, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, it's their problem. Yeah. But you know, it's just you know, the grocery is endless, you know, you'll find it <laughs> wherever you look, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So, that's that kind of, it's that kind of silliness that, that keeps us going sometimes as well. You know, you always need you need to have somebody to kick against, you know, you need to have your nemesis, otherwise, you, know, you lose the fun. Aspect of
0: it. It's all. too easy. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. And that's what these people are suffering from because they have never have a challenge. And in mm-hmm. the vast majority of cases, they're working for somebody else who doesn't give it down, whereas we're working for ourselves. And obviously, sure, yeah, we do. Yeah. That's their frustration from being trapped in that scenario where they, they really want to put it up against us, but the, those above them don't see that, the purpose or the reason to do so. But, you know, we were quite happy where we are. We always had planned to do some online elements, but it, it's obviously taken a whole other priority now in the last year with the closures but sure yeah we, i was gonna ask you about we, that yeah we set out to maintain and to bring people together with after parties and you know teacher sets and, and kind of local gigs associated with the theme of the films and all of that but inevitably we had a lot of people coming at us going listen how can I see that film you showed last year or two years ago I can't find it anywhere and in most cases I know that they're available but the people who are asking me are just haven't bothered looking at probably Google for long enough to find what they're looking for and <laughs> they don't have the title and that kind of thing so we knew it was inevitable that we'd set up Tomellant of online so it was like it was a bit of a no-brainer to kind of facilitate those people particularly the, the big fans in the cities that uh, we reach to who can't come to see everything because some of our programs in London, particular like we'd have thirty one or two features every November for a headline festival. So you can only see four, five, six, seven, eight, eight maximum, I'd say, oh. of those films if you're a super fan. So it's like great to be able to set up this channel that it would facilitate people who just you know have that enthusiasm, but obviously can't see everything in our program. You know, you know, we always set it up as a as a slow burn in the background. You know, but uh, we actually had had set it up a year and a half ago so it was good that prior to COVID we already had 12 films up there available you know yeah
0: have you found that interest in the the, the dock and roll TV has just spiked massively in the last year then or
3: yeah well it's a grower as well because, like I said, we set it up there in the background and we didn't have, we don't have much marketing behind yeah. it. Our biggest expense, any festival's biggest expense, is marketing and PR. You know, so it's the biggest, largest chunk of our budget for our festivals is, is marketing, and we had nothing for the TVOD really because we had to concentrate on the live aspect. You know, that's where it went, and we were going to word of mouth it all the way through our fourteen city branches and work it that way. You know, and let that kind of groundswell swell over two years. Before. But obviously, we couldn't do that when COVID hit, and that was... We hadn't done anything beyond social push on it, newsletter push. So mm-hmm. we obviously reorientated our funds and started and put some pure publicity behind Dock and Roll TV. While we added another twenty something titles to it over the summer. So around April we started pushing it hard, and we had had 12, 12 titles on it were UK and Ireland only, and then we opened up the rest of our acquisitions to worldwide, which really helped. Because funnily enough, we have like a lot of people reading our newsletter. Better in the states for some reason, even though we've never done any public screenings there. So we're pulling like viewers from the US for documentaries that are available in the US and other platforms, which I'm quite happy and proud of it. That's kind of bizarre, but we're, that's we obviously built a kind of a reputation amongst these uber fans of music that worth checking out. And once once we are able to offer them something online, they snapped it up. It's great, and now we're reaching uh, 26 countries. So that's kind of funny reaching.
0: That's incredible, reaching, isn't it? That's- That's really good.
3: Got lots of random stuff. You know, we've obviously got, you know, our biggest would be UK. And then we've got Germany, Australia, France, US. Canada, maybe the biggest, and then some Scandinavian, and then just oddball stuff like Lithuania, Latvia, and like, you know, all random, Croatia, whatever. No, it's really funny. It's kind of interesting to see how far we've reached with. So one of the funny things is that as well, that vast majority of our program is available elsewhere. We don't, we only have an exclusive on one title at the moment, out of 40. So these are widely available, maybe widely available as an exaggeration, but they're available on, on several platforms in these people's Home countries, but they just don't know about them, you know. Well, I guess it's, the
0: fact you, you have them all in one spot as well totally helps, yeah, doesn't it? You, yeah. you know, you can yeah, go yeah, yeah, to find yeah. one thing yeah, and yeah. find fifteen yeah. other things that you're interested in, uh-huh. you know.
3: So, yeah, 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 that's it. Like, but the problem with this kind of structure is that because we're pay hey, as you go and like on demand, you have to continually remind people that you exist, and that's the biggest assurance involved. TVOD, you know, tra- what the, the transactional VOD rather than subscription VOD, because once you have somebody's credit card, thousand a monthly subscription generally people forget to <laughs> unsubscribe even though they're not they're not watching the the content which is a, is a constant earner for you but when you come out from the other side of things which is pretty cheap to set up the biggest expense is continually reminding people that you exist or trying to find a newer audience which costs a lot of money you know a lot of expense so we got some really good coverage in april last year across enemy and time Out london uh, we got into the bfi's magazine sight and sound which is a real cool and that really kind of grew our fan base and then we got covered by italian and french publicity as well which was surprising
2: that's me stefan i spent my childhood between mixing desk and manure our farm was always chock full of musicians the music they recorded is the soundtrack of my youth and my father the conductor
1: let's talk a little bit about the films themselves one thing that bernie and myself and our Compadre padre tim who is just on a bit of a break at the moment but one thing that we always discovered over the last few years is that music documentaries seem to just be exploding i mean yeah we sort of remember back to the 70s and you know the, the music documentaries would be focused then or the 70s or the 80s i should say would be focused on whatever the big studios would want to look at it might be like dylan and the band or the rolling stones god knows how many documentaries about them there are but like now with the last 20, 30 years with technology being so much cheaper and maybe the history of contemporary music has gotten a lot older so there's a lot more subject grain to cover but you know we've found that there've been some really fantastic documentaries that sort of go through wider ground it's not just about the music so like we did this film two train running which had a wider story about the civil rights movement as well as music the devil and daniel johnson which was about mental health and looking on your channel you've yeah. got uh, films like boom for real about uh, jean-michel basquat uh, so looking about the new york yeah. art scene and the ambiguity yeah. of david Thomas Brown and about experimentality and <laughs> rockerball, which I, I think that might even be an Australian-directed film. Uh, it is, it About it the it difficulties it of being a metal band in Afghanistan under Taliban rules. We are using our music. We just want to play in front of thousands of guys and girls who come together. They cheer um, and say, yeah, this is true, this rocks, and we have this kind of idea too. So you're seeing wider stories rather than just a biography of... In a particular band. So I guess a rather long-winded way of sort of like asking, what do you specifically look for in a film? I mean, you went and said that you had last year 121 submissions and you obviously couldn't take them all. So what were you looking for?
3: Oh, it's a combination of many things. But yeah, you're right. This has been an explosion. That's, I mean, that's why we exist and why we said It was easy for us to set ourselves up seven years ago, eight years ago, because of the content that was coming out. One thing, I think one of the key things there, is like you know the cheaper technology but also the platforms funding platforms you know Mm -hmm. so the vast majority of our elections that come into us are from crowdfunded platforms from indiegogo or kickstarter you know Mm -hmm. Um, with that revolution these filmmakers would never get a chance to make their films because by and large like i said earlier their first time filmmakers they're more like uber fans with access or these people who just happen to have access for one reason or another but they would never get funded by the funding bodies like like IDFA or IDA or Sundance Institute, they won't have a hope in hell. Like it's like, forget about it. You know. By the way, the only things that are getting bloody funded by those types of sources these days, like the Grierson Trust, it's just issues to it LGBT, which is great. You know, fair enough. Politics in terms of the crazy scenario we're in at the world at the moment, in terms of ridiculous political sphere we're in and environmental collapse of the planet those three things that's it end of, end of story you know so even now it's, it's quite difficult to get funded outside of the realm of these kickstarters and indiegogas and that so that revolution really f- opened the full you know for better or worse because obviously there's a lot of access and filmmaker, filmmakers making films that are actually rubbish like you know and then a decent filmmaker won't touch that subject again because they just will never get funded beyond it you know so it, it has its, its pros and cons but they're mostly absolutely mostly pros in terms of allowing these people you know, to follow their passion, to remortgage their house, sell their car and all the rest and make a film over 8-10 years at their favourite scene, or in their favourite town or whatever, you know, it's like that kind of thing. So what we look for generally is, because what I mentioned previously is our big expense on marketing, so we need to have a film that already has a grassroots following somewhere online. That's one thing apart from the obvious intrigue in the car- central character, or central scene the ability to tell a story well in ideal Really under eighty-five minutes. I have a massive aversion to films that have to go over ninety minutes to tell the story because I'm saying. God damn! great story great access but why do you know if you can't tell a story in 90 minutes you're just a shit storyteller you know you don't know how to edit your story right you're just fucking long winded fart you know, <laughs> <Fuck> off, <laughs> you know? Um, so you keep the shit for the extras man there's so much bullshit out there where they go into like two hours and two hours five minutes so for me it has to appeal that which is a tangent of that the film has to appeal beyond the central focus of that music scene or music fan base as well you know which is why I i continually, repeatedly telling people just can you slim your film down and keep those really nerdy bits for the extras that because in general you're really cutting off your fan base by you know expanding the story to cover every goddamn band member that ever existed in the band or every album and remix that was made of every track so it's got to be focused you know and it's got to have a good structure that you know you can leave people wanting more rather than flooding them with information and just kind of going with so much filler you know so it's a best structure really being able to tell a good story and it hopefully got to be in a cinematic angle on it. can't be just fly-on-the-wall stuff that just doesn't have a good sound mix and doesn't have a potential for it to be really come to life on a big screen or a good sound system, which the ability we have now in the online scene and these hybrid festivals and doing a, a live and online version has opened us up to showing films that we couldn't show before. So we can show those non-cinematic films that just never had the budget to do good sound mix and all the rest, we can we can actually facilitate that stuff now, so, which was quite frustrating sometimes four or five years ago when we didn't have that, where some films are great, but they just didn't have enough finance behind them or enough intelligence in, in terms of, Savers being pulled left right and center to get good sound mixes in for them to justify them to be in a cinema right but we, generally we need it we need some kind of fan base on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that we can leverage into our own socials and, and boost the awareness of the film beyond that like because it's very difficult to start with a film with no awareness anywhere because essentially you just have to pay for that marketing out there and it becomes a self-defeating thing you can't spend like three four five hundred per film when you're already making that or less than that on the box office so it's that it's that kind of thing you know It has to be a combination of those things intriguing not too left the field you know left the field but some connection working with some mainstream artists somewhere along the line in their collaborations or that kind of thing you know we can work with films that are really left the field but if they have a strong grassroots
1: following on facebook already three or four thousand followers that kind of thing i don't know whether you get this sort of feedback but do you find that you get audiences for some films where the music has m- No appeal to that audience at all, but they find the story intriguing. So, like, for instance, I noted that one of your films is The Allens, One Hell of a Family.
0: Everybody knew where the stone was. They were coming from Canada. You don't want people to come from Canada and piss on shit all over your grave.
1: About... Gigi Allen's family I mean I think the first film that we ever covered on this podcast was Hated the Gigi Allen story his music is not my thing I hadn't even heard of him before we covered it and that's going back like eight years ago or something like that but I found his story absolutely fascinating I mean you finding that people contacting you and saying I had no idea who Gigi Allen was or I have no idea who Jean-Michel Basquat is but I find this a really fascinating story does story override the fan base of the music yeah no
3: Not to the extent that we hoped it would, because (laughs) we're finding frustratingly more so in the initial years change a little bit as our fan base and our audience has grown in size and breadth. But, yeah, we do get a lot of people coming up to us and usually it's directly after the film or maybe on Twitter or Instagram within 24 hours of seeing the film yeah they come and go wow I, my mate invited me along to this I, know I don't like this music scene at all but I found that really intriguing like yeah stuff like Connie Plank Potential and Noise like you know I mean it's a film about a producer of mid, mid to late 70s like Left to Field Kraftwerk Noi and all of that stuff that became more popular with your remixes and that kind of thing but like just kind of oddball stuff that they themselves would not see on their radar at all never listened to on the radio or anything that is an element that I'd hoped would have been stronger in the early days but it's definitely showing its head now we discovered to our surprise or to our ignorance that a lot of fans are just they just don't give a damn you know they just want to know want to see the film about their favourite rock artist and that's the end of the story you know that would probably have been about 80% of our audience four or five years ago and very difficult to get them to cross over into other things that we're showing because we we're trying to build a brand and a, a reputation for to take a risk on what we're showing you don't know anything about it that because of the pedigree of our previous curations that you know we were taking the gamble on so that has been taking us longer to achieve than we thought but thankfully it's taking shape now where we're probably looking at 50-50 on that now in terms of our audience so 50% of our audience are willing to go with us and, and take gambles on our program and as our program has become broader as well like because initially we started out just showing kind of a alternative rock, punk bit of hip hop and bits and pieces but we've gone over the f- seven years right into jazz and extreme metal and all sorts of like you know house techno everything electronic and that so it's been interesting but it's been a slower take up than we thought on that front but
0: I'm glad to say that that is taking shape do you think that's because younger people's taste in music is changing Morris and I are old farts we've been around long enough that when we were younger we kind of remember it it was kind of youth tribes you were either a punk or you were a goth yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah. whereas uh, yeah. it seems that young people nowadays because of the ubiquity of music on the internet on social media it seems that younger people have a, just a much broader taste in music so is that feeding yeah. into it do you think?
3: Yeah I'd say there's definitely an element of that there but I would say probably what happened with us initially our audience was uh, slightly older than that to begin with but it's become younger over yeah. the last three to four years which I'm very happy to say it, because I'd say our average age uh, when we started out seven years ago is probably about 40 and it, like you know obviously we'd have yeah. the, 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 odd, the, odd, the odd teenagers and the odd ones in the early 20s or late 20s but the vast majority was like 40 to 60 which has a lot to do with like the history of music coming of age around yeah. that like you know in terms of the stories like Morris was explaining in terms of the appeal of these films but yeah I'd say that definitely has shown a t- in the last three years, a younger audience that we're continually trying to reach are hearing about us and are coming and do have a broader taste, like you mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they can kind of connect the dots out there now much easier than we sure, could, you Yeah, know? because, you know, I myself, I'm, I'm like, I'm in my 40s. I would have loved to have had the access that people have now in the last 10 years to all of these uh, genres of music because I was hearing stuff when I was 16 and going and never hearing anything like that again for about four years until I hit yep. that scene in, in Dublin and be able to, to access like interesting you know Chicago house that kind of thing like mm-hmm. I hear like one Chicago house track in, like when I was 16 and nothing and it took me four years to find a venue playing that music <laughs> like, you yeah, know yeah. The, the kind of envy I have of, of everything being at their fingertips now of course it's a mountain of noise out there obscuring it as well but you know how it was I mean you spend you, you got very little cash when you're yeah, a teenager course. yeah yeah you, know, you, you got a part time job and you're you're buying a CD and the CD's got to fucking last you two months at least you know so it's <laughs> that's like, right yeah you know that was very frustrating for me you know because uh, yeah. I knew you know you, you find your tribe eventually About my tribe was always pretty more open because I was always into initially into a bit of everything alternative rock you know I came up under Nirvana and all of that like you know and then yeah, a bit yeah. of Sure. And, uh, this and that and, but like I always had a taste for electronic music as well because I came up under that around the 90s and mid 90s as well so being able to access all that music though I could only afford the you know to buy the you know ill communication and not take a chance on the left to techno yeah. album yeah, You know those, those days well same. yeah exactly the yeah, same yeah, yeah. yeah. this is massively hit to say the least the pockets of the creators but it's, it's incredible to mm-hmm. have that access now and it definitely is filtering through and it is supporting our whole kind of thing of reaching these new younger audiences. Because actually, one of the key points of BFI funding that we get to do the the regional tour, so we didn 't don 't get any funding for London because it 's considered to be overfunded and and spoiled rotten, which is uh, <laughs> is a bit of a, an overstatement in terms of the titles that we screen, but we get funding to tour uh, to u k cities outside of London, and one of the priorities is reaching younger audiences to backfill the key audiences for alternative independent cinema now is the typical you know, mid-40s to mid-60s. And there's a crisis there, you know, with the online access of backfilling and reaching the the 19 to 23-year-olds and getting them into yeah. the cinema while well, cinema still exists. <laughs> that was before COVID hit. So, you know, it's that's a critical thing as well. Like, I mean, it, it, that's a fundamental drive of, of making sure that there's an audience there for alternative art house cinema in 10, in 15 years' time to make sure you try and get and um, grab the 20-year-old now. You know, and that's making it it easier for us for that reason that like you said there is access to that music to to make the connections connect the dots and see that Mm -hmm. a lot of these genres overlap in terms of maybe not on first look but definitely from the production side of thing and the producers are working on the albums and their own breadth of taste and influence and how they can make a great album because they have that breadth of influence from other genres younger people are seeing those dots whereas the 50 year olds couldn't be bothered you know aren't interested Or, or blinkered you know that would be good kind of analysis of our audience where we're, we're looking 50-50 now.
1: You mentioned COVID. Do you have any plans post-COVID? Let's say 2021, we know there's not going to be any magic formula despite the vaccine rollout. This is going to be with us for a few years, but let's say some things return to some level of normality in 2021 or post-2021. What are the plans cinematically for dock and roll, like, ideally, if everything was available to you?
3: We were on the cusp of a 14 14- City UK tour in March. We'd already spent our PR funding on the first four cities of that four-month tour. That was 95 screenings booked and, and confirmed across 14 cities across four months. That was disastrous for us for that to be cancelled when we'd already spent doing the marketing of the first four cities. Mm. Like, I mean, we're determined to resurrect that and to make sure that we can continue to build on those cities that we'd only recently visited. We have a core base on probably seven cities. And then we were reaching another seven that we'd only started to reach out to do little bits and pieces with. But it's key for us to maintain the social structure of what we set up and make sure that these live events continue to happen. And now, obviously, we'll have a tandem of the online thing always now from now on. But we're determined to get back out there. And I don't want to make a big deal of it. But like, you know, cinemas are struggling even when they're open these days for content, you know, because the distributors are holding back their medium to large films. So I think it's critical that even in our smaller way, we can bring content to these more obscure towns and cities with interesting cinemas that are on their knees now, which don't have the content to screen, even when they can and find a window within the COVID scenario to, to to screen again. So another thing which is drastic on the horizon is the collapse of these two hundred odd independent cinemas across the UK that the BFI has now restructured all its funding to save. Like so we don't have any touring funding at the moment because of it being reorientated to save the cinemas, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. So in the initial period, initial moment, these next seven or eight months, but well, we're determined to get back out there and expand our physical reach to as many cities and towns that will take us because we're even just with that structure that we'd reached 7 to 8, 10 cities two years ago, we had started, like I mentioned, to do semi-theatrical, so we will continue on the back of that to reach more cities, not in our physical kind of 4-day, 5-day festival with lots of Q&As and all that, but at least get the films out there to their audiences as a distributor, you know? So we've obviously expanded our different income streams little by a little over the 3 or 4 years, so we are now focused on making sure we, we distribute 3 to 4 films per year for obvious financial reasons, but obviously, but also to help filmmakers out who aren't getting any interest from larger distributors, you know, and are falling between the gaps. So we see there's a market there as well, and obviously to build Roll TV from its current 40 titles up to something in the region of 65 or 70, you know, over the next two years, and also to reorganise the whole structure of our Duck and Roll TV offer because at the moment it's in a really beta mode it doesn't have any any, it's very basic you know we we want to uh, build on that and and reorganise the site so that we have like a really easy to use platform easier to navigate rather than it's a bit of crate digging at the moment there's no Sean it's not subdivided by anything to say the least so we thought it was most important to get it out there set it up over the last year and we'll deal with all those restructuring when we have a little bit more time and income on our hands to actually do it and finesse the site, you know. But we uh, also screen across EU festivals at the moment that we help our directors who come to us and we screen with them, we offer them access to all our network across the EU and across the States as well and uh, South America that we have contacts with, but primarily across European festivals that we have mates in and um, collaborators uh, with, you know, the acquaintances of, you know, between you know CPH Docs and rather and all those kind of festivals that have these alternative music strands within them, we've built camaraderie and that kind of thing between them. So that's what we're determined to do. It's on three or four different fronts there, but we're determined to, to make sure that we, if the cinemas exist in a year's time, well, that we'll be there in the UK to support them, like in mm-hmm. Glasgow and Manchester and Bristol and Sheffield, Leeds, you know, and some of the more field towns like Reading and, and Exeter and smaller kind of, smaller population towns. So, yeah, it's just onwards, you know, as far as we can survive, you know, because we, it look like I'm just happy to be able to be talking to you about this now as, as an ongoing concern, because last May, it looked like we were going to have to pull the plug on everything, you know, wow it just yeah 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 95 paintings like a serious thing you know <laughs> I mean we I know we're all in the same boat here I mean theatre's fucked comedy's fucked like you know uh, to everyone small music promoters who we have a lot of mates in that world are uh, completely screwed you know because yeah. these venues yeah. particularly the live music venues already had economic incentive of all the, the their building construction development going on around them shutting down venues because of noise pollution all this kind of bullshit to deal with before they had COVID you know and now they're just absolutely on their knees so i'm obviously very concerned of
1: where the general arts market's going to be in 12 months time at all let alone our small little niche you know for any of our listeners who've been listening to this conversation and think all right i think i'm going to go check out that Doc and Roll website. I want to uh, subscribe to something VOD. And as you say, that's fortunate. That's worldwide. That's not geo-blocked, So thank goodness for that. Someone comes along and says, right, I've listened to that interview. I'm going to go search out that website. Name me two or three of your favorites. And I know, I know that you're behind this website. They're like all your babies. But what would be two or three films that have absolutely knocked you? Let's say over the last 12 months, a couple of films that uh, you could recommend.
3: Al Savage is one of my top five anyway of my favourite music docs Pretend We're Dead about the the grunge band from like 91, 92, 93 it's a, it's a great story of vitality and determination resilience from uh, these four women who came up in the shadow of Nirvana and were hanging out mates with all of that grunge team at the time
1: people assume that you're raking in the cash if you're on the cover of spin magazine but unless you sell an insane amount of records
0: you're really just a working stiff at best
3: it's like it says it's a rags to riches to rags story, <laughs> but uh, it's a vital story of determination, particularly from the from the point of view of you know the misogynistic you know yeah. Roxy and music scene world of business, and then um, the triumph over all of that at the end of the day. It's a great story because it mostly revolves around their own private uh, you know home movies that they shot in high eight around their U.S. and European tours in the in the early 90s so it, it, it's it pretty funny behind-the-scenes stories there with Nick Cave's briefly in it as well and all these kind of backstage shenanigans. That's a great one. Bunch of Cunts, uh, A by Sleeper Mods is a great one as well.
1: If you were on like £15 a week and you turn the telly on and some fuck is spouting on about love, you know, with a guitar in the middle of a forest, yeah. I mean, that's just shit.
3: You, you've heard of *See for Mice*, you're you're familiar with them a little bit, or
0: of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's
3: it. that's a fantastic film. I love the vitality behind that as well. A couple of more unusual ones that are very popular with us is *Sonra*, a, a joyful
2: noise. I have many names. Some call me Mister Ra. Some call me Mr. Ra. Others, call me Others call me Mystery. You can call me Mister Mystery.
3: about the uh, the jazz experimental f- freestyle uh, lunatic <laughs> that who <laughs> right? whose who's ensemble is still going to this day. But that just uh, free jazz, new uh, fusion, bebop, boogie woogie, all sorts of craziness going on on that film. And, and a lot of people are seeking that one out because they can't find it elsewhere. It's very popular, even though it, it, it was released over 20, 20 year, years ago. Originally shot in the 80s, but it wasn't, well, it was only on. VHS for quite some time. A really funny one, I like, you know, it's always nice to have a bit of humor involved when people not taking themselves too seriously is something I look out for as well, is Murder in the Front Row. I don't know if you've seen that one on the San Francisco Bay Area trash metal story.
0: People have passion for the metal. There's no distinction
3: between the bands and the fans. We called it the land of misfit toys.
2: People in our scene, we felt invincible. It was about
3: survival.
1: It's like, ah! Exodus had the destruction recipe. If Exodus
2: was playing, we were there. That's Paul Bailoff
3: yeah yeah it's hilarious like it doesn't take itself too seriously at all like you know it's all about doing the the real you know the trash metal fans versus the hair metal dudes who are posers <laughs> and all of that struggle it seems it seems absolutely ridiculous uh, uh, like 40 years later almost 40 years later but it's, it's a very funny story of like the real metal fans versus the dudes who are just trying to look cool and, and um, you know trying to pull girls like at the, at the scene yeah that that's a great one like it's the foundations of Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, all that, like, you know, particularly um, Metallica, so it's interesting to see where the seed of that global rock phenomenon now came from, you know? So the one you mentioned previously, the ambiguity of David Thomas Broughton.
1: He's a surreal performer. I like to say that he's like a combination of Richard Thompson and Buster Keaton. He's terrifying, unpredictable, difficult, erratic, and somewhat confrontational sometimes.
3: I, mean, I had no idea about him whatsoever until I saw the film. I think that film in particular, stylistically, is beautiful. It, it puts some really good work into telling a difficult story about a really oddball character. I always like to highlight films that are take a different approach to standard you know, Wikipedia.
1: I'd never heard of him but I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, that is definitely one I've got to uh, earmark for a full viewing. He looks like, yeah, quite a character.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He spent some time in North Korea all places <laughs> working as an English teacher so he has all sorts of stuff going on in his background that is not directly affected to the music but really interesting character yeah so yeah the Yelp, Gil Scott Heron one as well Black Wax is very popular on our channel that's very typical to find for some reason I don't know why because I know it's available out there elsewhere but people are uh, flooded in once we started screening that one about a year ago I think one of the issues one of the good things about how we built our name over seven years that we show up really well on Google and like SEO, you know, in terms of the films might be out there, but we get the first mention of them as first page and probably they're out there on the second page elsewhere. We just get a jump on that because of the amount of different screenings we've had over the years and it's kind of reached out into the algorithms that are showing us up more so than others, you know. That's great. A band called Death's a good one. It's a funny one as well.
0: Yeah, I've uh, seen that one. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, Death yeah, by Metal, uh, yeah.
3: yeah. And then The Allens, of course, which you mentioned earlier, yes. is a great... <laughs> And I, to say the least, like yourself, I'm not into that scene or that music, and I find it almost difficult to call it music because really it's more performance art. You know, it's not yes. a musical. A bit of a whole other game, you know, in terms of it, the noise <laughs> element of it. But that's a great one. I mean, the interaction between his brother and Gigi's brother and their mother—it's it's just hilarious. it's just brilliant. I love that. It's heartwarming, you know, that kind of thing. Another one, actually, which is our only exclusive title, which is well which is it out is Manchester Keeps On Dancing which is 40 year profile of the beginnings of the dance scene Chicago house entering Manchester and Manchester really foisting that in the late 70s early 80s onto the scene before London well like a good year before London got on to it like and then how that has evolved over the decades not just from the hacienda scene itself but how it's built out from Manchester back into Detroit and back in Chicago and then via Berlin and how the, those dots are connected around these music cities how it's still going strong there in Manchester you know it's, it's great it's got some really good contributors to that story I'll add one or two to that that aren't available on our site that I'd just like to flag. Is one of one of my favourites is the Edwin Collins one from Orange Juice. Possibilities Are Endless. Have you seen
0: that one? Oh, from that's a good one, that's yes. Yeah, stuff. I have seen that, yeah.
3: That's a great one and that really fits the bill in terms of taking a different approach and not just a yeah. bunch of talk heads and archive. It's done beautifully in terms of its dramatic recreation. And Where You're Meant to Be, have you seen that one? The Scottish, oh, what's the guy from Arab Strath, I can't remember his name, but uh, oh, it's, Aidan
0: Moffat? Is it Aidan Moffat? You I'm know, following Moffitt?
3: Aidan Moffat, yeah. yeah right there, kind of, the traditional folk of the 40s, 50s and 60s of Scottish folk and how he's got this woman who's, uh, you know, big within that scene and how he's playing around with her life story versus his. And it, it's a beautiful telling of camaraderie within two completely different scenes, like their whole music scene being an ironic piss take of everything and her being so sincere about, you know, folk music. I think it just works beautifully, that way one and he's such a character yeah, that's that's a great one we don't have that one either that's another great one then rude boy the story of trojan records i've seen that one that's terrific it's beautifully made i mean the reconstruction and that generally you know reconstruction is just red flag no no it's going to just fall flat in its face and it usually does I mean absolutely in this case it's an exception I've seen like I know myself I can talk to the director I understand why it's so successful because they spent over a hundred grand on the recreation itself of those uh, dance scenes yeah so I mean that was a big budget that was a BMG film like you know via Trojan the own Trojan (laughs) but that's a beautiful film well worth seeking out and David Crosby coming out the Stable David Crosby, remember my name is the film we screened as well. After Rubo did really well for us as well, and the, uh, BMG put together a David Crosby film as well as well. We're checking out it's him reflecting on the last 50 years of his life of what an absolute asshole he was, <laughs> to the <last>
0: majority
3: of- <laughs> particularly the women, you know, particularly the women like a, just an absolute prick. And it's kind of his shot at redemption, really, you know, because he knows he doesn't have that many years left. And it's kind of an interesting perspective from that. I go there's some of my some of my favourites anyway
1: well we just want to say a huge thank you to you we'll be putting up uh, links to the website and the show notes when we put this show up but this has been absolutely fascinating thank you so much for uh, oh, taking the time to speak to us Colin no worries thanks for having me mate it's been fun. cheers have a, have, a, yeah, have a thank you this is such a great endeavour and you know music documentaries that's what we do or part of what we do so yeah it was just a godsend to be able to find you
3: great well I appreciate you uh, for reaching out to me like I you I see you have had some, some Rob Curry and a few other
1: people that I know from the scene have been on
3: yes. the show before, so yeah, it was interesting for me to find you guys
1: as well, so yeah. Thanks very much, Colin. Uh, Bernie and I will be back in a moment to talk about next month's show, See you Here 83. We'll be back in a moment. Try
2: and try, try and try, you succeed at life.
1: Once again, our huge thanks to Com Ford of the Dock and Roll Film Festival. We'll put some links up in the show notes for uh, this podcast. Feel free to go search it out if you live in the UK. Please keep an eye out for hopefully when the festival does become a thing again after this nasty COVID bug decides to uh, piss off after we can vaccinate it out into the ether. But in the meantime, they have a lot of fine films on their VOD service. So go check them out. Episode 83 coming to you next month. That'll be March of 2021. As we said at the start of the show, our beloved Tim Merrill is going to be back on the program. He's been working his ass off for the last few months for a uh, career change. He may talk about that on next month's show, but he'll be back and talking with us about music films. So we thought, well, since he's been away for a few months, we thought we'd give him the pleasure of selecting our film for next month. And I had a chat with him yesterday and he said to me, he's gone and nominated the film that I've sort of wanted to see for a long while, but it never came into my sphere. I don't think it's on a streaming service and I don't know where the DVD was, but we'll find it. The film is called Black Snake Moan with Samuel L. Jackson and Christina Ricci. So we'll be talking a little bit of blues music and a little bit of chaining up for you on uh, next month's episode <laughs> of the show. Is it one that you've seen before, Benny? Do you know, I, I'm
0: fully aware of it, but like yourself, I've never gotten around to it. So that will be interesting, to first first-timers
1: uh, talking about that. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that film and very much looking forward to listening to the soundtrack. That was actually how the film came to my attention years ago, was I saw the CD soundtrack. and thought, oh, I should buy this and then... Didn't and still haven't seen the film, but it comes with the Tim stamp of approval. So um, looking forward to talking about that next month. If you wish to join the Facebook group for See Here, you go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash See Here. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Our uh, gratitude to them for letting us play in their sandbox. Lots of other wonderful podcasts out there. I think they're up to about 65 different podcasts in their network and they're all music related. So. How good is that? You've got a VOD service to watch your music related films and you've got a great podcast network to listen to your music related podcasts. That's fantastic. If you want to write us an email, seeherepodcast at gmail.com.
0: Instagram we are at seeherepodcast so uh, do follow us there for the occasional pictures and uh, amusing things
1: that I post. So you'll have some nice dock and roll related photos this month? I will, yes yeah. So until next month when Tim returns, look after he other, Listen to some great podcasts, listen to some wonderful music, watch some films, music related or not. Just generally be nice to each other, wear masks, hopefully get vaccinated if you're in a part of the world that's started doing it, hasn't started here yet, don't know what they're waiting for. Be nice to each other and look after each other. All the best. Cheers.
0: Stay safe everyone. Cheers. They said another but he can't be buried They said he's dead But he can't
2: be buried here They said come on, come on, come on, come on This can't be real